Just imagine, the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them, on one team. The Fire and Water Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. Hello and welcome to JLU Cast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I'm Chris Franklin, and welcome to our Justice League Unlimited Season 1 Rap Party. Woohoo! Uh, we'll go over our favorite moments... Lines, characters, and other things from Season 1 of JLU, and rank the episodes from worst to best. We'll also cover your feedback left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, picking up with the third episode for the man who has everything. Yeah, because we started to do feedback, and then we realized the way we were doing the show, we were doing it, we were recording too quick to keep up with feedback, and so from now on we're just going to do feedback at the end of the season, like Rob does on MASHcast, or Ryan does on Cheerscast, and... You know, honestly, that that way we can produce them quicker, get them out, and and also, like you said before, I respond to the the comments mm-hmm. at uh, firewaterpodcast.com. So, so let's get into our ranking. So, for your ranking, well, first, I guess we should ask, what is your? You know, we want to get the negativity out of the way. Okay. Okay. What was your least favorite episode of this season? Hawk and Dev. Okay. All right. Uh, reason why? It's just so blah. <laughs> it's just so rote and so, okay, yeah, I know that's going to happen. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I honestly, I mean, we might as well just say it. I, that's my least favorite episode, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like a horrible episode by any means. It's it's not War World bad by any means. No, 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 no. No, no episode. There's not a bad episode. No, there's not. This season. There's no, really not. There's not. There's not. It, it's not bad, but if you're talking about just least favorite, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, the rest of this season is just really top flight. Um, I think part of it is Wonder Woman is just out of character, in the, mm-hmm. in, you know, just to prove Aries' point. Right. It, it, you know, through the episode. So, and, you know, I, I will give them lots of credit for the stunt casting Oh, yeah. You know, with the, the brothers from the Wonder Years playing yes. Hawk and Dove and switching them up. Mm-hmm. You know, making making Fred Savage be Hawk mm-hmm. and and making uh, Jason Hervey. Yeah, letting him be, exactly. Yeah, Jason Hervey be, uh, be Dove. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was great. That was great casting. Okay. So, we'll fill in the blanks in the middles in a minute, but what was your favorite episode? Kid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and we did not look at each other's lists. No. I, we did not. We did not before we sat down and started recording. I mean, it's just, it's one of those cases. I mean, we have done, you know, action figures of it and drawings of it and constantly are quoting it. And I mean, it was like on repeat at our house when Andrew was little. He loved that episode. Like we said when we covered it, I'm surprised there's not a hole, a laser hole in the DVD. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that was definitely that was definitely my favorite. So what? So what was your rankings from from? Uh, okay, no, thirteen was Hawk and Dove. What's from from twelve to two? Who okay. fill, fill those in? For twelve, I picked Darkheart. Okay. Eleven, the greatest story never told. Okay. 10, This Little Piggy, which I'm sure surprises you because it's a Wonder Woman-centric episode. Yeah, it does surprise me a lot. Um, it's just the whole thing where, she, you know, where she, cro- you know, does the thing when she's a pig. I mean, I'm just sorry. You know, the bracelet <laughs> thing. I'm just, nah. Okay. Um, number nine, Wake the Dead. Eight, The Return. Seven, Ultimatum. Six, Initiation. Five, Fearful Symmetry. Four, The Once and Future Thing Part Two. Three, The Once and Future Thing Part One. And two, um, for the man who has everything in one kid stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm really kind of interested in, uh, you know, the, this little piggy. That really shocked me that you had that that far down. But I guess, yeah, you, you really did have a problem with that, didn't you? And, yes, I and, did. And also, like, with with, uh, with Medusa and, and, you know, mm-hmm. even though it was funny, it was really broad for, yes. <laughs> for, for the TCAU. It, it is. But it's a whole lot of fun. Uh, it, it is a whole lot of fun. But like I said... There's really not a actual dud in any of this season, but if you're talking about me ranking which ones yeah. I would set down, you know, if kid stuff, if I was flipping channels and kid stuff was on, I would set down. Yeah, that, you know? that's what I did too. I I, I stopped and thought about, um, you know, I had to step, you know, I had to step out of the way and say, okay, 
what episodes have I and would I just choose to watch if I'm like, okay, you've got an hour or two and you want to watch Justice League, mm-hmm. which ones would I pick to watch? Yeah. And so the ones out of this season that were at the top of that are at the top of this list mm-hmm. and the rest fall out. But there is a huge, even though Hawk and Dove isn't a bad episode, there's a huge cliff between Hawk and Dove at 13 and my next one at 12. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me. For me, there is. So my ranking is, of course, 13, Hawk and Dove, 12, The Return. Uh, the only reason that one is a little lower, I mean, that's a great episode with Amazo coming back. It's just that the ever, the Green Lanterns are kind of bloodthirsty, and the fact that the Justice League is willing to let them destroy half the Earth to destroy Amazo is kind of like, uh, I don't know about that. Uh, 11, Dark Heart, 10, Wake the Dead, 9, Initiation. Yes, that's a pilot, but it's a little low on this list. Eight Once in Future Thing Part One Weird Western Tales. I didn't like that one as well as you did. The part one. You're wrong. I, well, okay. Seven Ultimatum, <laughs> the Super Friends episode. Uh, six Once in Future Future Thing Part Two Time Warped. So I put that one up higher. You put the Western one higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, five Fearful Symmetry because that's just a great you know yeah. introduces the question the Supergirl story. Oh, and that one we're actually the same. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, four, the greatest story ever told. I I like that one. Greatest story never told. Sorry, sorry, the greatest story never told. Yeah, you're right. Sorry, this reading too many DC books. It comes out, you know. Uh, three, I put this little piggy because that surprises me. Yeah, I really like that one. It's a lot of fun. Uh, two, we have number two is the same for the man who has everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and number one, kid stuff. So we had our one and two are the same. So let's see, one, two, five, and thirteen, and thirteen are the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And Dark Heart, it's, you know, you had it as 11, I had it as 12, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Wake the Dead, I had it as 9, you had it as 10. Yeah, we were we were pretty we're close, close in a lot yeah. of cases. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of cases. And again, this is without us. Oh, 7, Ultimatum, both of us the same. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, we had a pretty close list mm-hmm. even though we didn't look at each other. I mean, no, I, just, we didn't. I, I just gave Cindy a list of the episodes and a brief synopsis of them because some of them, it's been a year since we recorded it. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's how we did it. So, okay, well, now that we've ranked them, uh, let's jump into our superlatives. Some of these are our regular superlatives that we do, and some are they're ones I've added just for the season ender here, mm-hmm. the rap party. Okay. Power action feature. So, for what did you have for your number one power action feature? The fact that Batman and Green Lantern get together and they taunt Mordred, saying, Precious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yes, it's not a superpower, but they are going up against magic and they used, you know, just being able to tweak him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, I like that. I remember you liked that when we talked about this episode. Yeah, that's, and that, again, you know, it's kind of funny because we just, you know, the Batman, Green Lantern, they have a nice, like, friendship on this mm-hmm. show. I, li- I like their, their uh, back and forth on, on this series. For mine, I maybe I'm I'm still I'm still reeling from the loss of Kevin Conroy and then our episode we did. But my 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 power action feature is is Batman sings in this little piggy. Am I blue? Am I blue? Ain't these tears in my eyes telling you? You know, <laughs> I, well, I was just being very, you know. No, no, no. But I mean, I really do think because that's like Batman's secret superpower mm. that he used. You know, and he wouldn't use it unless he absolutely had to to save Wonder Woman. So I, yeah. that's kind of why I thought it, it worked. Rotating chairperson. Okay, for permanent chairperson, who was the one that that shone for you this season? Wonder Woman. Okay. I mean, Wonder Woman, she's like, this is the way it's going to... I mean, especially in the Western episode of, you know, the time travel story. She's like, okay, it's nice. It's settled. This is how we're doing it. And the the guy's just like, yeah, that's what we're doing. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, when they're going through, you know, in kids stuff, she's just like, I'm going to tell your moms and dads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I picked Wonder Woman too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did. Uh, and honestly, the numbers, just the rankings of what we gave the other episodes, she was number one. Mm. And and I mean, she kind of emerged anyway. I was thinking in that direction anyway, but the numbers don't lie. Right. We picked her as number one more than as the rotating chairperson 
more than any other. Right, and think about you know for the man who has everything when she's crawling to Batman. Yeah, you know, yeah, all of those different things. Yeah, now the Adam got it twice, so he was close. (laughs) But he had really two really great showcase episodes. So, uh, and this Wonder Woman guy, despite her being kind of out of character and having a bad attitude and Hawk and Dove. Yeah, Justice League communicator. Okay, for Justice League communicator, I mean, this is really hard because it's. These guys, There's so many lines. So many great lines. Uh, so what was your great line? Honestly, it goes back to the whole power action feature because it's just like Batman saying, precious. <laughs> I mean, think about what that one line did. You know, it brought mm. about his downfall. That's, so, you know. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because he tricked him into making himself an adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ending and the curse. I want my mommy. You don't need a mommy. You're better off without one. Trust me. Stop it! Stop it! Some king. I'm not impressed. What'd you expect? He's a boy doing a man's job. You don't know what it's like being stuck as a kid. Since you got all that power, you could have been a man anytime you wanted. I think you're too chicken to grow up. Yep. Big chicken. That's what you are. Face it, precious. You like being a little mama's boy. I'll show you. I'll show you all. I, I had to go. I mean, I thought about picking something different, but I don't think there's a more heart-wrenching moment in all of the DC animated universe than Superman's speech to his son Van. Yeah. As he That's tells true. him, That's you know, true. I don't, you know, I don't think you're real. You know, and he's like, Daddy. You know, and he. And he hugs him, and he tells him that he love, loves him, and he never forgets him. And then when Superman comes out of that, man, he is hell bent for steel. He I is mean, yeah, shit. Yeah, yes. he, he is. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just George Newbern is so great in that moment. I just, yeah. I had to give it to him. Van, when you were born, it was the happiest day of my life. When I first saw your beautiful little face, your tiny fingers squeezed my hand so tight. Like you never wanted to let go. I've watched every step, every struggle. I've... But Vanna... Raoul, help me. But I don't think you're real. I don't think any of this is is real. Don't say that, Daddy. Please, you're scaring me. No, no. I don't want to scare you, Van. You are everything I ever wanted in a son. This... This is everything I ever wanted in a life. But I've got responsibilities, Van. And I have to go now. What what was your favorite comic connection? I like the Super Fran homage with the Ultimate. Yeah, that one was great. Yeah, of course, I guess that's more of a cartoon connection, but you know, it's okay. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that one too. Um, I almost picked that one, but I, the comic nerd in me couldn't. I mean, they did a straight up adaptation of one of the greatest Superman stories ever told for the, the man reason. I, everything. The reason I didn't pick that one right. is because they didn't use Robin. Mm. That's the reason I didn't pick that one because to me. That took away from the story. It was a more... Don't get me wrong. The animated version is very, very powerful and everything else. But by them taking Robin out of it, yeah, it lost some of its power. I will say, and I, you know, I think we said it at the time, but just, just in general, I like the animated presentation of it better because I like Superman's Krypton being idyllic and him not a place he wouldn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And I love Batman's fantasy yeah it's just yeah. his dad beating up Cho chill forever you yeah. know i love that uh but yeah i wish they'd had tim drake's robin right i know right. it could have been jason but i wish they had right right of course young robin i mean if tim drake's robin had defeated mongol yeah <laughs> uh, and that's the reason i did not pick that yeah okay that makes sense 
Electricity is evil. So electricity is evil. What did you uh, have for that one? The when the Dee Dee's kill Terry and you hear Terry. Yeah. You know, you hear old Bruce and you know, oh. Yeah, that's what I picked too. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> proving that after thirty-two years together, we actually do share brains. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Oh, twenty what twenty-six or twenty-seven years? Twenty. Uh, 27 years. 27 years. Of 27 years married. Yeah. Yeah, 27 okay. years married. Yeah. yeah. 30, 32 together. So. Right, 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 right. Sorry, but anyway. Yeah. We yeah. do share a brain. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, I, well, I think we're just from looking over, both. I'm looking at both of our notes on the screen. Uh, we're getting ready to share a brain even more. Who is your favorite villain? Mongol. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> and we swear we did not. Uh, no. Shave. I did not look at his. He did not look at mine before right now. Yeah. Uh, I gave it to Mongol because, you know, he often comes across as a third-rate dark side or a second-rate Thanos, but in the story for The Man Who Has Everything, he shines as a true sadist. I mean, he takes things to an even more personal level than Darkseid has, even in the DCAU. Yeah. So, I, I mean, he, you know, he was, in, I mean, he was the villain in the worst episode, War World. Yeah. Of the entire run of Justice League through JLU. Right. But he redeemed himself in this episode. I mean, he used Superman's heart against him. Yes, he did. He used Superman's greatest power against him, his heart. Yeah, that's true. And Eric Roberts, you know, he really delivers a great performance here. He seems to relish every line mm-hmm. and that he's you know i mean you just believe everything he's saying he's he's really great in that episode so yeah i fashioned a prison that you couldn't leave without sacrificing your heart's desire it must have been like tearing off your own arm uh so another new category here we have is a favorite non-founding justice leader so not one of the original seven so who'd you pick I either went with Green Arrow just because he's a smart ass. Yeah. And he kind of gives you that everyman. Um, or to me, Supergirl, because you are seeing her, her journey. And when she goes out to fight Amazo, even though she knows that he's taken out Superman and she's facing death, she still goes. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of funny. I was talking to Dr. Ange about that. I can't remember if that made it into the episode or it was when we were uh, talking off air. Uh, when we were doing the Supergirl commentary, which we just recorded yesterday, and, and just you know behind the scenes, uh, but he talked about how that moment is one of his favorite Supergirl moments, and he really loved the DCAU version of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to hear Doctor Ange talk to us, uh, share his thoughts on air this coming season because we got him booked for a guest spot. There you uh, go. So, which we should have had him last season, and I regret that, but. Uh, we're going to hear him talk about it. And yeah, it is a great, great moment. And they do a lot with Supergirl. I like the DCAU version of Supergirl. Mm-hmm. And I think this show, much like they did with Batgirl in the Batman the Animated Series mm-hmm. and the new Batman Adventures, I think this show helped kind of rescue the classic concept of Superman's cousin as Supergirl. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and bring it, I mean, that's like, because it's like, well, it works on the animated series. Why aren't, why are we, what's with this Matrix stuff and yeah. all? Let's just have Supergirl be Superman's cousin. And I mean, technically on the animated series, she's not. She's from a neighboring planet. But that's, he yeah. adopts her as his cousin and he's, she's raised by the kids yeah. and everything. So yeah, it's, yeah, she's great. And uh, oddly enough, my, uh, my pick uh, I was going to say Green Arrow because I love, the like you said, he's the everyman. He's the POV character. He is the version of Green Arrow that I love the most. He's the 70s, mm-hmm. early 80s Green Arrow, the hard-traveling hero. Right. You know, he's the hippie, you know, the, yeah. the leftist Green Arrow. You know, I, he's the guy I read in World's Finest Comics and Justice League. He looks just like him. Ken Schreiner's great as him. But... I had to give it to the question. Oh, okay. Because he is the greatest version of that character. The DCAU version of the question. Okay. In my opinion, is the best. And Jeffrey Combs is just so wonderful. And the fact that they went with him being this conspiracy nut was such a... It's, it's, it, it was there in the comics for somebody to pick up, and they never did. And these guys ran with it and really, you know, went to town on it. I mean, you know, it's, it's just... I love it. So, <laughs> and I mean, the scene where he, you know, that one of the lines that almost made it for me, 
Hold your horses. No one asked for more help. This whole trip might just prove the kids shouldn't eat nachos before bed. Peanut butter sandwiches. How did you... What? Do you go through my trash? Please. I go through everyone's trash. <laughs> and, he, and when he breaks into the, the, the place, you know, singing the pop song yeah. that he tortured the guy with earlier, you know. Oh, no, I didn't. Na, 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 na. You know, it's just... <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. So, what did you... What was your overall thoughts about this season? To me, they have really hit their stride. You can see... And if you have, if you have watched the entirety of the series, and then you go back and you're looking at it like we are with a critical eye, you can see where they are setting the plot lines for the upcoming episodes, the ups, upcoming seasons, even. And so I, I just really like this because, I mean, the first, you know, the first two seasons, you can, you know, they were hitting their stride, getting together. They have gelled yeah. with this. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, as good as Justice League season two was, the team here is now firing on all thrusters. Uh, the format is perfect now. I mean, there was a little padding in when it was always two-parters, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, it, it moves at a great clip. The stories go as long as they need to be. And like you said, we're starting to see threads sewn for longer arcs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will pay off big time next season. This one still has mostly isolated done-in-one stories, minus the finale, of course. Well, yeah. But subplots are being introduced with characters who will return with a vengeance next season. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, and in some ways, like we said before, season, season one and two... They put them out on a DVD set together because they're dumb, Warner Brothers. But in some ways, it does make sense. Mm. Because it's kind of all one big... It's all leading up to the season. Well, it's not quite the season finale, but it's the <laughs> it's the penultimate episode of season two that's the finale of the, all the storylines. Right. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to get there. But I would say it's this season's about as good as the DCAU gets. But honestly, I feel overall the next season may be even better. Okay. So we've got nothing but great things to look forward oh, to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And even after that, season three is great, too. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're just in great shape. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about your feedback for most of the season. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Firewire Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. That is so funny that we were... <laughs> yeah. I mean, just... Yeah, me too. Me too. Me too. I'm like... The same reasons. Da, 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 da. Yeah. You can tell that we've been together for a while. I know it. Okay, we're back, and now we're going to cover feedback, starting with the episode for The Man Who Has Everything, which we talked about quite a bit. That's the adaptation of the classic Superman annual by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. Uh, so our first comment comes from Steve Gibbons. Chris, I bought the comic off the rack as well, and it blew my mind after first reading it. I used to reenact the story with my superpowers action figures using Darkseid as a stand-in for Mongol. The JLU adaption 
refines the story, and manages to make it accessible for a TV audience without losing any of the emotional power. One of my all-time favorite episodes in the series. Yep, can't disagree with that, Stephen. Uh, We also heard from Michael Kramer, who said, A great episode and a great story behind it. However, on the whole, it left me feeling disappointed. After all the setup to introduce such an expanded lineup of characters, the first episode we get has Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. Now, this was something I wasn't expecting. But we did get some comments like that. You mm-hmm. know, like, okay, you did initiation. You introduced this giant Justice League. Yeah. And now you're back to the core DC Trinity. You know, mm-hmm. it's like in the very next episode. And in fact, our pal Siskoid from this network had a similar comment. Not a fan. And it's got nothing to do with the episodes or the original story's qualities. I just felt at the time that this went against the JLU concept that had just been birthed the week before. Was this something that was in the works before they made the format change and they were loath to lose it? It was in the wrong season for me. Is that a weird complaint? I guess I died on this hill. No, well, you weren't the only one, so, yeah. you know. Uh, yeah, it, I never even, like I said, never occurred to me. But I get their point. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it probably would have been better to keep it back for season three because mm-hmm. there's more stories like that in season three. So, um, Malik wrote in and said, definitely love your episodes analysis and truly miss Robin in the adaptation of this episode, be it either Jason or my favorite Robin, Tim. Fun fact, did you guys know that in 1988, Canadian animation company Nelvana was going to do a Batman cartoon which featured Jason Todd as the Robin feature, but in the full color concept art collage, he had his bright orange reddish hair instead of his dyed black mane. Uh, you know, Malik, I I had heard something about that. And when you left this comment, I went and looked it up. And yeah, I found that artwork. Mm. It's weird. I mean, it's it's it looks like it's a very Bronze Age. It's like called Batman. The show is going to be called Batman and the New Robin, which is unwieldy. Mm-hmm. But ca- cartoon like to series like to call the new Scooby-Doo, the new mm. Scrappy-Doo, blah, blah, blah. You know, they liked that back then. So, yeah, they had they had done development work on this series. And it's a very, you know, traditional-looking animation. Looks a little bit like the Superpowers um, season, the final season of Super Friends. But it's not by Hanna-Barbera. It's by Nelvana, or Nelvana, I guess you should say, Nelvana. And... Um, who you know they did they did the droids cartoon they did the animation in the Star Wars holiday special mm-hmm. did a lot of stuff like that so yeah it's this weird footnote in in uh, in Batman animated history there, there should, really should be some more out there on it but yeah go look that up guys and you'll your mind will be blown that we almost got this Batman cartoon with a redheaded Jason Todd and this was well after Jason had been you know retconned into being a dark haired from the get go. Street punk who stole the tires off the yeah. Batmobile. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to jump on to our next episode, which was Hawk and Dove. Okay. Rob Kelly writes in, I have no memory of this episode. I know of it, but I can't remember anything about it. Did I somehow miss it at some point? As characters, I don't think Hawk and Dove ever really worked, except in very limited doses. No surprise, I thought they did work when Alan Burnett wrote them into an issue of Brave and the Bold. Great casting coup, getting Fred Savage and Jason Hervey and then flipping the roles. Andrea Romano, the gold standard of casting. Yes, she is the Lynn Stallmaster of animation because <laughs> Lynn Stallmaster cast Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater mm. in their roles. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, that Alan Brennert story is really is really great. I mean, it's a great, it's, it's the issue before my favorite comic of all time, mm. the Earth 2 Robin yeah. story, which he also wrote, of course, and Jim Appara also drew. But in that one, Hawk and Dove have aged up, which, you know, it's great for that story, but it broke continuity because why would they be older than Dick Grayson? Right. And they even, like, address it in, like, when Donna gets married because somebody's like, I thought you two were older. And, like, Hank or Don say, we keep getting that. What's what everybody keep telling, asking us about being, you know? So, mm. so that was kind of, that was kind of fun. But, yeah. Not, not, you know, nudge, yeah. nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, it was, it was, it was a good one, yeah. Uh, our friend Asamu Hidaki Yukinori wrote in, Is it me or does the Annihilator resemble the Monarch armor? Mmm. Mm, because, you know, Hank Hall became Monarch. Right. He does kind of, I didn't think about that, but yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're your father's son, which we always say, but you are. So. <laughs> 
All right. Ian Fletcher writes in, I enjoyed your review of this episode, Franklin's, which is a marvel because I never liked this episode at all. We see the growing league here, which is nice, and get to see the growing pains of that league. But I have to say, Hawk and Dove just bore me to tears as characters. But upon listening to the podcast, I decided to go back and rewatch the episode and give it another try. Well, good. I hope you enjoyed it a little bit more, Ian. You know, so. <laughs> okay, now we're jumping into Fearful Symmetry, which was our the beginning of our Cadmus story arc. <laughs> Captain Entropy writes in, This was a great episode and a great prologue of what's to come. You did it you two did it justice, pun intended. Ha <laughs> ha. Cindy, I agree that John and Ollie's condensation towards Supergirl is apparent. See what I did there? Yes I do. Watch Google Scholar for my forthcoming paper, Green, the Color of Misogyny and Ageism in the So-Called Justice League. There will also be plentiful JLU and JLI references, of course, along with examination of relevant aspects of military, police, Jacques and rich white male liberal cultures. (laughs) There you go. Nice. Nice, Captain. Simple Pending wrote in, who is a huge Power Girl fan, so makes sense. Why is every clone of Power Girl always a bad guy or girl? The timeline is a little fuzzy, being from the long, long ago, but I think I saw this version of PG, the character, before I actually knew of the comic. I wasn't always a big fan of the character, but I guess it was destined to happen. So this might be where they met Power Girl, kind of. So that's great. Okay, Ange writes in, I was amazed that Supergirl was such a key story element and really got the spotlight again so quickly after the first episode. But when I saw Galatea, I was really gobsmacked. Both Kara's from the comic, there before my eyes. And what a brawl! Amazing! I like how Kara is more of a brawler than anything else, not a trained fighter. The big win is the question here. He is brilliant in all the episodes he's featured in. I love the scene with him singing the boy band tune while tossing the garbage can through the door. I was a huge fan of the O'Neill Cowan comic, so this episode was like two great Ange tastes that tasted great together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean this this was just a that's that's just a firecracker of an episode. Yeah, and yeah, I was I remember just being like, oh man, they're doing Power Girl, but not quite, you know. But you know, we got the the, the clones dressed like Power yeah. Girl. That's great. And now on to our favorite episode, kid stuff. Right. <laughs> I guess that's me. Yeah. Mike Thomas writes in, Very fun episode. More generally, I'm really enjoying my first watch of JLU and your analysis of each episode. Oh, it's his first watch. I dig the wide variety of characters and how sometimes we get the big three and other times it's Green Arrow, Supergirl, and or lesser known DC heroes. I can see how this series would appeal to kids, especially this week's episode. And yet it's really a cool show for grown-ups too, especially with the deep pulls from DC history. It's great fun to watch the episode and then listen to your podcast for the episode. Well, thanks, Mike. That's great. I mean, I hope that, you know, we've either, you know, it's, I hope we've gotten some people to go back and look at the show. I mean, obviously the show's got thousands upon thousands, maybe even millions of fans, but, you know, it's, it's, it's great that maybe we're like, oh, well, I should go back and rewatch that one, or I've never watched this before. Let me give it a shot. And I think it was supposed to come off HBO Max, but... Yesterday, it was still there. Oh. So, uh, I thought it was supposed to be gone at the end of January. So, maybe somebody knocked some sense into somebody's head around there. I don't know. But your mileage may vary, and it may be gone by the time this episode comes out. But as of yesterday, which was like, what, February the 5th, right? 4th or 5th. 4th or 5th. I don't know what day it is. <laughs> it's 5th. So, at February the 4th, it was still there. So, uh, yeah. So, if you got HBO Max, you can go watch the episodes. Okay. So, Doug Van Diver writes in, This episode made me curious to go look up something, so I googled it, or rather, in keeping with the theme, I used Kids Google, which does the same search of the whole internet, except it swivels your monitor away from you if there are boobs. (laughs) Anyway, I was thinking about the disappearance of, of adults all over the globe, some of whom must have been, oh, let's say, flying passenger aircraft. My search says that some 8,000 passenger planes would be flying at any given moment. Mostly the adults would have been fine because they'd all have been in the bad place. Good if they survived the inevitable crashes. But there have to have been kids on board. Hmm, at least on half of those planes. Ooh, Doug, yeah, that's kind of chilling. I mean, it does kind of bring up some of the stuff from, uh, you know... uh, Infinity War and Endgame. Right. The fact that there was, you know, there was a helicopter that crashed into a building that when Nick Fury looked up. Now, we later learned that everybody, Hulk blipped everybody back someplace safe, but the people that didn't blip 
that were in aircraft or things right. that other or cars that people were driving, they didn't come back. You no. know, I don't think Hulk fixed that. So, you know, uh, yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Yeah, good point. Although kind of dark. So, <laughs> Ian Fletcher writes in. I always thought that each of the characters had, via the magic that regressed them, become a hybrid of their adult selves and power and their child attitudes matching the age they became, a side effect of the spell making them younger in body, also having to regress their minds enough for Mordred's wish not to banish them. That makes sense. Curiously here, while I agree that females are often much more mature at an earlier age, thereby explaining Wonder Woman's clearer head, there's another aspect here at work. Wonder Woman was raised in Amazon in a culture that doesn't have our modern values and foibles about children. I believe the young Diana was expected to be a lot more together than any of the others who were raised in an era where we shelter kids from a lot of life's sharper edges. Well, that's, that's true. There were no helicopter parents in Paradise Island. Well, and I think you see that, especially like you and I were both raised by older parents, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And so we're like, you know, especially me, I'm more no-nonsense because I'm like, no, that's not going to fly. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I can see that, too. Yeah. Okay, now on to This Little Piggy, which had our special guest, Ryan Daly. Natavani writes in, also, I guess she really does have to go for the sorcery at this point to keep the act going, as the setting's grown to a point where people with powers are well known. Stage magic would probably have to work harder to be entertaining if the answer to the trick could be, oh well, the assistant was a shapeshifter who could split himself into multiple pieces, or he used his Ultratech alien living computer to teleport himself out of the chain box before it went into the lava. Yeah, that's a good point. Magic in the DCAU would be, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, pretty hard to be sell. In, sell, yeah. yeah. It's like, well, you know, there's we've got magicians, and I mean, in any superhero universe, obviously, yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, Brian Linton wrote in. I completely agree with Cindy that Batman was projecting when he tried to minimize Wonder Woman's embarrassment by limiting League involvement. He was handling the situation the way he would have liked his teammates to handle it had he been the one turned into a pig. Mm-hmm. I also agree that Wonder Woman was probably not embarrassed by her predicament. Mm-mm. That being said, the fact that Batman was even trying to think about her feelings, even if he got those feelings wrong, is another step forward for his character in this episode. Yeah, that's all, all very good points. Yep. Robert J. Smith writes in, Forget about Bewitch. The plot of this story is incredibly similar to the Green Acres episode, Won't You Come Home, Arnold Ziffel? Season 3, Episode 11. It's the exact same story without superheroes, Greek gods, and musical numbers. <laughs> I'll have to catch that one. Uh, 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 Green Acres is on TV every night on MeTV. I'll have, yeah. to, I'll have to see if I can catch that one. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for the heads up on that. <laughs> now, on to the return, the return of Amazo. Uh, we heard from Rob McCarthy, who writes, Who else here loves the Atom? We do. Yeah. Uh, I've always figured, too, I've always figured Ray Palmer is really sloppy with his secret ID. He's the famous professor who's never around when the famous superhero who stops Ray Palmer's weekly science gone wrong on the same campus. <laughs> Good point. Four. Have you, you skipped three. Have you ever thought how powerful the Adam would be if he killed? Lex thinks he's smarter than me. Cool. I'm flying up his nose and growing to full size. <laughs> well, you know, they did do that. I mean, that there's that... That uh, Grant Morrison Justice League story, Howard Porter drawn Justice League story during JLA, where like it's in the future and Darkseid's taken over, and I think it's Connor Hawk's Green Arrow fires an arrow, you know, kind of like Hawkeye and Ant Man, mm-hmm. and the Adam's riding on the arrow, but he like gets in, he lights got to come in the dark side for him to see, so he manages to get into his eye, and he like basically lobotomizes him or something, you know. So I mean, it, yeah, that makes sense. That's a good point. Yeah. So we heard, also heard from Doctor Ange. This show and these first two seasons are really great for Supergirl fans, and this episode has one of the best moments for her ever. While everyone else is wondering what to do about the incoming Amazo, Kara, headstrong as usual in the DCAU, just flies up to meet him fist first. Yes, she gets taken out, but I love how she was looking around at everybody standing around. She was probably thinking, WTF is everyone doing? Well, if someone has to stop this thing, I will. And the determination on her face as she just flies with her fist out is just fantastic. Yep, see, that's what Dr. Ange was talking about yep. the other day, too. So, yep, good point. Yep. Chris Ferroni writes, One of my favorite parts of this episode was how Amazo was defeated, with brains and compassion rather than sheer power. It was a nice departure from the usual slug-it-out method, although we did get a lot of that up front. 
I have to say that I was slightly let down about Oa's fate and how easily it was returned. Not that I wanted to see the core and Guardians all wiped out, but it just felt like a cop-out to me. And Amazo was pretty reckless to move a planet simply because it was in his way. Doesn't he care about the potential gravitational impacts moving an entire planet would have on a cosmic scale? Let's hope Oa didn't have any moons that went spiraling away. <laughs> yeah, that could be a problem. Yeah, Space 1999 in Oa, you know, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get into the greatest story never told, and this was with, recorded with Shag. Catherine Entropy writes in, My wife is a Booster Gold fan solely because of this episode. Thanks for covering the good stuff, as always, Franklin's and Shag. Oh, well, you're welcome. That's nice to know. Well, Booster would be not happy to know he's got a fan, especially a female fan. Ah. <laughs> Jason Lady writes in, As a longtime Booster Gold fan, I was overjoyed when, when JLU did an episode focusing on him. Interesting discussion regarding Firestorm's exclusion from the series. I remember in early steals from the cartoon, people speculated that Wave Rider was actually the fire elemental Firestorm. But nope, it was actually Wave Rider, which is a bizarre choice to put in there over Firestorm, who actually was a member of the League. Yeah, Wave Rider was really a weird choice because, you know, he's basically this time cop character. Mm -hmm. So it was really strange. And why didn't he get involved in the, the season one finale? I don't know. He's Wave Rider. That's his job, right? Uh-huh. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tim Price writes in, This episode's take on Booster really did him justice. Hee <laughs> hee. We get a quick overview of his origin, motivations, and struggles all in this one show. JLU did a great job in efficient storytelling, and this is a perfect example of that in action. Love it. Another fun twist on this episode's title is the Mordrew battle could also be the greatest story never told because us viewers don't see what happens. We get pits and pieces, but not the entire story. It all depends on your point of view. That's true, and we don't ever know how Ralph defeated Mordrew. The elongated man defeated Mordrew. (laughs) The whole Legion couldn't defeat Mordrew, but Ralph did. Then we got feedback on Ultimatum with uh, Rob Kelly, our guest. Chuck Coletta writes in, I believe the first major film to include cloning as a plot point is actually Woody Allen's hilarious 1973 comedy, Sleeper. On Twitter, I linked to a long thread discussing the history of cloning as a concept and in pop culture that dates back to 1903. It's worth a read. I also love this episode and it's nod to the old Super Friends cartoon of my youth. I am continually amazed at the depth of the storytelling and characterization in this kids cartoon show. That's in quotes. I wasn't bothered by Batman's reaction to Waller's rich boy remark. I also hate the Bat God persona of recent years, but I think it's good to knock Bruce down a peg or two occasionally to reveal his humanity. He's not as smart or as mysterious as he thinks he is. Mm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, I, I like the fact that Batman stays fairly human in this series, and he he was pretty human in the finale we just covered. Mm-hmm. He he screwed up a lot. So, Lucianne Desar writes in. I haven't watched this episode since it first came out. The script for this episode is tight, and it feels like it could have been an entire feature-length film. The first discovery of cloning was in 1885. This is the cool part. It was sea urchins. Aquaman. Sea urchins. Get it? LOL. I'm Grace Grant Charles here. Hans Adolf Edward Dershix? Dresch. Dresch? Yeah. Sorry. Shook a sample of shook a sample of two-celled sea urchin cells that separated and became separate sea urchins. It wasn't until Dolly the Sheep was cloned that people took notice in 1997 and it entered fully into the public consciousness. So that runs in line of the writers being exposed to that writing, also Clone Wars, etc. Yeah, and you know, don't forget the Spider-Man clone thing, which even made it, I mean, they cloned Spider-Man on the Nicholas Hammond show. Everybody always forgets that, but there's a clone episode of that. And that was my favorite episode of that show. (laughs) Animated Connection, the scientist that does that to Peter Parker. Lloyd Bachner is the actor that plays that character. He played a Mayor Hamilton Hill on Batman the Animated Series. So there you go. Ian Fletcher also wrote, So the entire Super Friends bit went over my head, despite watching and enjoying the Super Friends as a kid. I actually thought this was something of an homage to the more weird heroes of modern day like those over in Image Comics, but not one that seemed to strike any specific chords. As soon as you all pointed it out, the actual subtext was super obvious. Well, you know, I mean, it's... I can... There's things like this that I'm just like, oh, facepalm, you know, when I'd like, why didn't I pick up on that? So right. don't, don't beat yourself up, Ian. It's okay. <laughs> Our next episode is Darkheart. Chris Ferroni writes in, Hello again, Franklins. I really enjoy this episode because, oddly enough, the opening scene was reminiscent of one of my earlier dates with my wife. 
We went hiking, which included a section of mountain climbing, not too steep to require climbing gear, but she was not a fan and told me later I came close to being dumped. Thankfully, she never followed through on the threat, and we never encountered an alien nanotech machine looking to consume everything it sees. <laughs> That's good. I very much enjoyed John C. McGinley as the Adam, as well as J.K. Simmons as General Eiling. I think Simmons fit the bill perfectly. Shout out to Andrea Romano, and was glad to see him have a recurring role in later episodes. Oh, yeah. He comes back. Boy, does he ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're glad, you know, things worked out with your wife. She didn't dump you, and you didn't, like, get consumed by nanotech bots. That's great. Uh, Captain Entropy writes in again, I love the Batman-Superman moment for the same reasons you did. This show does a better job portraying that relationship than many comic writers do. Although Grant Morrison also did a great job in JLA, and so did Mark Millar in JLA number 27. That was a fill-in issue of, of Morrison's run where Adam is called up to save the day against a threat that is beating all the leaguers. In that case, it was Amazo. But now that I think about it, that's a comic connection to this episode as well as the previous episode you already covered featuring the Adam in Amazo. Adam pulls an Aquaman move in the comic. I'm sure you talked about it then. Um, you know, I don't remember. I, I've read all the JLA issues when they came out, but I haven't reread them in a long time, so that, that went over my head. So, uh, thanks for pointing that out, Captain. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, yeah, I didn't think about it. <laughs> okay. Siskoid writes in, The boob sweat conversation sounded like an Ohatmu or not outtake. <laughs> Yeah, it did. You're, I think, I think you're, I think you're like a honorary Ohatmu or not uh, girl, you know, basically. <laughs> you're, you're, you're part of the U.S. branch or something. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, you definitely, you guys, you guys definitely think along the same lines for sure. Yeah, often. Uh, our next episode uh, we had comments on was Wake the Dead. Mike Thomas wrote in, great episodes of JLU and JLU cast. I thought the same thing about how the don't do it line regarding the bus was reminiscent of Superman 2 when he says, don't do it! The people! I wonder if that was an intentional homage like the later bridge scene being similar to the bridge scene in Superman the movie. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like, you know, it was. And I, we all know that's Cindy's favorite line in Superman too. We don't have to get into that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Price writes in, For this JLU episode, I keep thinking about how most of it feels like a huge violent battle, but the resolution is remarkably quiet and poignant. Normally, our superhero battles all end in a triumphant climactic victory where a MacGuffin like the Magic Mace would be part of a combat maneuver. But instead, it's subdued. It's tragic, heartbreaking, and beautiful in a way. Some great storytelling. And, as Chris likes to say, in a kid's cartoon. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chris Ferroni wrote in, Awesome coverage as usual, Chris and Cindy. This episode of JLU is always interesting to me because of the various conflicts I find within it. As you discussed at the beginning of the episode, Shaira is docile, complacent, and questions herself and her purpose, polar opposite from her attitude prior to the events of Starcrossed. In fact, she only regains this attitude once she decides to help Grundy, as if her passion has been woken from the dead. I guess the episode title had a dual meaning. Not sure if it was intentional, but Shaira's outfit, white tank top, black slacks, helps showcase the duality of her attitude in this episode. Perhaps I'm stretching it a bit. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I, I, it, it, maybe it wasn't intentional, but it's, it's a nice. Little, it certainly fits. Yeah, it fits. Nice thing to pick up on. Uh, then our next, our next episode, we were outside of the the Justice League run. We decided to talk about the Static Shot crossovers because Static figured into the season finale. Okay, so Rob McCarthy writes in: Some versions of Batman are not that careful about secret identities. There's never been a comic where Batman cares that freaking Deathstroke knows. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because Deathstroke figured out Dick Grayson had been robbing, so it doesn't take much to figure out that Bruce Wayne's Batman. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, Captain Entropy writes, Trusting a teenager with a secret like that is generally a bad idea. Not to be ageist, but it's a lot of stress on a not yet fully developed brain. As you would say, a broccoli brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That said, I get it. Telling the whole league, even just the founders, seems like a lot. But one person you've really hit it off with and believe you can trust, one whose friends won't be angry with you if they find out he knew and they didn't, that's a potential confidant. It feels good to let out the truth just a little, and by bestowing this honor on him and making him a co-conspirator, you gain a lot of loyalty for a long time. Maybe even until you're old and gray. <laughs> that's a good point, because you know Static definitely seems to be a adjunct member of the Batman family in the DCAU, yeah. so yeah, good point. 
Isamu Yukonori writes in again, So Brainiac took over Richie's body and kept him from bathing. I suppose Brainiac was being very literal when he promised to be back and lay the funk down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say Richie was pretty funky at, some, at that point. A teenage boy that doesn't bathe. Ugh. Oh, I'm telling you, you know, I deal with fifth, you know, second through fifth grade, and those fifth grade graders, <laughs> they, you know, we're now into the second semester, and it's starting to get funky up in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh. And then our next episode was our Kevin Conroy tribute, the episode we never wanted to have to do, but no. felt like we had to do, and I'm glad we did it. So, that's me. Uh-huh. Our first comment's from Michael Ridge. You, did not, it, you didn't exactly include my favorite line in your list, but it did come up in Chris's 13th Dimension tribute. Conroy embodies and voices the modern Batman who is the real person for whom Bruce Wayne is a disguise. Of course, in his head, he doesn't call himself Bruce. Yeah, I, I didn't include that one because I had put it in the article. So, yeah. you know, I feel that they kind of work together. But yeah, that is that is definitely one of my favorite moments. Noah Tarno writes in, I'm glad you touched upon Conroy's sexual orientation and how his personal decision to keep it hidden for much of his life might have informed his portrayal of Batman. I think much of what, what of what makes Batman such an interesting character is his secrecy, his need to keep his true self hidden in the service of his mission, or just as a way of getting through life. I think it explains a lot about why superheroes in general have always attracted so many LGBTQ fans, not to mention good old-fashioned misfits like me. We can only speculate, of course, but it's possible Conroy wouldn't have given such an indelible performance if he'd never had the challenge of being a gay man in a sometimes gay hostile world. Nevertheless, I'm glad that he seems to have found happiness within his orientation by the end of his life. Yeah, very well said, Noah. Yeah, that, don't much to add to that. Just very well said. <laughs> uh, Tim Price writes in, Hi, Franklins. This episode started up automatically just as I was about to leave my car and turn off the pod player. And just a few seconds of hearing Conroy's voice in the opening interview got me emotional. Good thing I needed to turn it off because I needed some time before I could continue listening. It was fantastic to include it, but I wasn't ready to hear him. Honestly, my reaction caught even me by surprise. Uh, yeah, Tim, you know it's 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 weird. You know, I, I've a lot. You know, celebrity deaths. A lot of times, you know, I'm like, oh, that's sad, you know, and stuff. But it's like there's just been a handful of them that have really gut punched me. Mm-hmm. This has been one, Christopher Reeve, obviously, uh, and Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy passed away really bothered. I mean, it really got to me more than I thought it would. I mean, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, but I didn't think... I've always been more of a Kurt guy than a Spock yeah, guy, really. True. But at the same time, it's like, Leonard Nimoy just seems just like a cool human being. You know, yeah. it, just, it just really bothered me that he was gone, you know, so... Yeah, I get it. I I get it. I'm I didn't. I'm sorry. You know, it, it choked us up too to do it. So yeah. <laughs> you're not alone. <laughs> uh, our next episode, we covered Batman Beyond the Call, the two part of that introduced the the very term Justice League Unlimited in the first Justice League episode in the DCAU. Okay, so Rob McCarthy writes in. I'm not too worried. The Batman Beyond future. It feels like a future that exists because somebody diddled time. Oh my. Um, Number one, Rob doesn't want Superman to be evil or mind-controlled. Two, Bruce Wayne lives that long. Three, Big Barda being on a Justice League but Wonder Woman not. That feels like the Grandmaster making a quick substitution. Four, another Green Lantern that's not Hal. What's wrong with these? Five, very tellingly, no Flash type. There's your time, Diddle. Yeah, (laughs) the Flash was mucking around in time again. We know how well that goes. New 52, thanks. Uh, <laughs> again, Captain Entropy writes, I do think Soup's bringing in Batman Jr. was the real him fighting through and finding a way around Starro. And I think he knew what he was getting into referred to the dangers of hunting a spy in the league or maybe just putting on the cape and cowl. On a deeper level, it's Soup's trying to build a rationalization shield against all the guilt that is probably already coming to bear about the stuff he did while controlled by Starro. That's my best no-prize attempt anyway. Yeah, this Superman would have an amazing guilt complex oh, after yeah. Darkseid wound him up, as Batman said, mm-hmm. and turned him against the world. And now this, I mean, yeah, poor Superman. Just constantly being... Again, it's no wonder Batman keeps kryptonite in the Batcave. <laughs> okay. Rob Kelly writes in, Please, please, please do a Wonder Woman and the Star Raiders episode. I love toy talk, and especially on lines that never were. 
I, for one, did not know that they ever hinted that Terry was Bruce's son. So, spoiler alert much? The clip you played at the end, Superman's line read, is clearly nudging the audience in that direction. Sorry, Rob, I just assumed that, you know, I, I probably should have said spoiler alert, you know, up front, but I just kind of assumed everybody knew that. Remember that. It's a 15-year-old <laughs> Now, as far as the Wonder Woman and the Star Raiders, I actually have that comic. Oh, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I I know, but I'm just, like, really happy I have that comic. And I got it for a really good price, and now you can't touch that thing. I mean, wow. (laughs) Yeah, but we really do. We we need to talk about the best way to do that. I don't Uh know. I don't know the best way to cover that, but we've I've I've got some ideas, and yeah, I think we will do something with that. That sounds like fun, so we'll do that, and eventually we'll cover that episode of uh, just wait till the end of this coming season of JLU, and then we'll JLU cast, and we'll talk about epilogue, the episode that gives you that spoiler warning about Terry and Bruce. <laughs> yeah, and finally, on to the season finale of season one. And that would be the Once and Future Thing, Parts 1 and 2, Weird Western Tales, and Time, comma, Warped. And our first comment is from Isamu Yukinori. He said, I don't think this was ever mentioned on your show, and if I missed it, I apologize, but the end credits of the JLU episodes provide teasers of upcoming episodes. So the end credits for Part 1 showed a scene that spoiled the upcoming appearance of Old Man Bruce in Part 2. However, the scene in the end credits is significantly different than what appeared in the second episode, namely the inclusion of Wonder Woman, and he included screen caps to show us. My dad wondered if the interrogation scene with Ghoul was originally written to happen before Wonder Woman faded from existence, or if a storyboard artist made a mistake in laying out the scene where the Justice Leaguers glare at Ghoul by thinking that all of the Justice Leaguers listed in the script, including Wonder Woman, was supposed to be present, and nobody caught the error until after the scene was animated similar to Cheetah and Copperhead showing up in the police van at the end of Injustice for All. My dad didn't think the producers would spend budget to intentionally animate or alternate scenes for the teaser just so viewers wouldn't ask, where's Wonder Woman? Did something happen to her? For a week. Uh, that's a great, great catch, uh, Samu, and uh, I didn't notice it. Um, you know, honestly, we usually don't look at the, the end credits. I mean, mm-hmm. we're usually off to the next, you know, by the time I do the notes and and we watch the episodes and do the synopsis and all that stuff. I don't worry about the opening or end credits as much. Probably should, but this is a really good catch. And, uh, yeah, it would have been kind of interesting if they showed Wonder Woman where she wasn't supposed to be. That would be a very Super Friends-like moment. You know, Batman's dead, but he's standing there with the rest of the Super Friends <laughs> famously in that one episode. So... <laughs> Captain Entropy writes in, Wall of Pure Entropy. Pure Entropy. Pure Entropy. Sorry, it's stuck in my head now, and I wanted to share. Hal's reaction when he pops into the timeline reminds me of an active duty officer that I work with in my defense contractor job. He is similarly confident and succinct and hates long discussions of the problem. He would have had the exact same dialogue except with teammate at the end. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, the, the, the wall of pure, pure, pure entropy. Dung. Dun, 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 pure entropy. Uh, you got to just imagine Leonard Nimoy saying that, that they voice sampled Spock. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's glad to know that you work with Hal Jordan. Of course, Hal Jordan was in the Air Force, so, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Brian Litton writes in, Since Will Friedle was mentioned again this episode, I wanted to let people know that Will has a podcast that he does with his Kim Possible co-star, Christy Carlson Romano, called I Hear Voices where they interview fellow voice actors. Of possible interest to some, Will and Christy launched a nationwide contest to give some lucky person the chance at a voiceover career. The super awesome contest to become the next big voice actor runs through February 9th. You can find the details in their January 9th episode, Christy and Will Have Big News. Now, this resulted in a discussion about if I should enter the contest, and several people said yes. Yes. I know, and I apologize the deadline went by before I had a chance to send anything in. I, our life has been very hectic as of late. Yes. Um, and, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing awful. Nobody's sick. Nobody's in the hospital. It's just been one of those death by a thousand cuts moments and that happens in everybody's lives where there's just been a lot of upheaval, a lot of just, again, nothing personal, no damaged relationships, nobody hurt. It's, 
it's just been adult life stuff. Basically cars, bills, things like that that have just cropped up all at once. And I've, I've been really busy at work, and I honestly just forgot it. And I apologize. I kind of was interested in doing it. Cindy and Danny both told me I should have done it. And I just didn't get around to doing it. I'm sorry. But I really do appreciate the heads up and the vote of confidence, people. Maybe one of these days I'll be able to have a little side career as a voiceover artist. I doubt it. But, you know, what? It's not in my goals of life to do. But you could. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Well, let's move on. Chris Ferroni writes in, so the ending. Yeah, that was pretty clever, but overly sadistic of Bruce to get Clinton stuck in a time loop being repeatedly berated by his wife. Something like that would surely drive a man mad, but somehow Clinton doesn't seem to realize he is stuck in this loop. Which doesn't make sense, because both Bruce and Green Lantern remember the events, so why doesn't Clinton? Seems like a big logic flaw that is ignored to wrap everything up in a nice bow. That's a good point. Why doesn't he remember? Uh Uh-huh. I hadn't even thought of that. Maybe because he was so crazed by the end and he was already mad you know you know pretty and you know all that stuff so maybe maybe his mind was just so unbalanced that they could basically you know when he found himself in that situation he literally thought oh i should be here this is where i'm at you know that's that's my no prize chris actually had quite a few points uh read reading the comment section he had actually quite a few good points that are a little plot holy that that he discovered in this episode that we kind of bypassed just because we were gushing about it. Okay, Brett Young writes in, Great show, Cindy and Chris. I've just caught up on all the episodes. The JLU was on TV when I was in college, my early 20s, so I I had, ahem, other interest at the time. But I've been watching it on HBO Max with my kids, and your podcast has provided a lot of background and points of interest. The Once and Future thing is one of my favorites. I'm a sucker for westerns and love it when the Old West characters turn up in DC shows. Too bad we didn't see Cinnamon and Super Chief, too. And if they really wanted to kill some characters, the Trigger Twins had to be around town somewhere. Oh, gosh. I really wished they had spent both episodes in the West. Me, too. There could have been train robbery, stagecoach, shoot 'em up chases, maybe even have the JLU head to the Dakotas and visit the Jim Saloon. Now, that's a show for the kids. Sure. <laughs> like Chris mentioned, this episode reminds me of JLA issues number 198 through 199. Not just for the story, but how I bought it for the fantastic George Perez covers and then got tomahawked by Don Heck when I opened it up. Oh. <laughs> also, speaking of the Justice League and Westerns, there's a great Elseworlds story called Justice Riders that I highly recommend if you've never read it. I cannot believe that I forgot to mention the Justice Riders comic, mm. the Elseworlds comic, because I've always liked that one. And Wonder Woman's the like leader of that, and I mean, she's... In similar outfit and everything, you know, yeah. and that that's a good, that's a great story. And have you ever read that? No. See, I don't think I own it. I think, I think I read that when I worked at the comic shop and I didn't buy it because, you know, they were coming out with so many prestige books at the yeah. time and they were so, you know, back then they were, oh, there were five bucks a piece, you know, standard comics, five bucks a piece now, but, uh, I don't think I have that in my collection, but I, it's probably on a DC Universe Infinite app, I bet. Hmm, we should look. I, I want to say Chuck Dixon wrote that, which, you know, know, Chuck Obviously. Dixon writing the DC characters I'm all about. So, uh, yeah, it's great, and, um, I, yeah, it's it's uh, it definitely should have thought of that. And, you know, I would have loved to have seen, like, the, the Western version of Johnny Thunder mm-hmm. show up, because he's, you know, a favorite here at the Fire and Water Network, and... Uh, yeah, the the Trigger Twins, not so much. Uh, so if they had to bump somebody off, yeah, they could have bumped them off. Super Chief's got such a cool visual with the big buffalo head. You know, that would have been cool to see him too. So, yeah. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this past season. Thanks for all the comments. Uh, you know, we had a great time talking about these episodes. It's a lot of fun, uh, you know, re-watching these shows and, and discussing them and, and having guests on to talk about them. We've got some great guests lined up. Uh, for Justice League Unlimited Season 2. So I think it's going to be, again, this is just, I mean, this is, this season coming up is the DCAU at high tide. I mean, it it really is. I mean, again, nothing wrong with Season 3, but, you know, the, the, and there's some great episodes in there. They're just, it's just a little more, it's just a little more of a laid back season after this one. And they kind of had to do that. Because once, once you go all in game, you know, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta go a little, you gotta go a little lighter, you know, here and there. So, but thanks, everybody. And 
Special thanks to our Patreon supporters for information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Visit patreon.com slash fwpodcast. Extra special thanks to Jorge Luis Castillo, Matt Ryan, Neil Whitney, Jeff Owens of the Classic Horrors Club Podcast, David Capoon, and Rocket Dan Johnson, who specifically support JLUcast. You guys get to announce the winners and the losers of the team. Good luck telling hockey's in the worst episode. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think there's going to be at least wedgies involved. Mm. Uh, so next episode, we begin JLU Season 2 with the Cat and the Canary. And since that obviously means we're going to be talking about a certain sonic screaming siren, who else would we have as a guest but our expert on fishnets, Ryan Daly. See you then. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide and is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied. So please don't sue mommy and daddy. Emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Comments can be left at firewaterpodcast.com. Com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Who are you people? That's a national security matter. And if I were you, I wouldn't probe the situation too closely. Rich boy. I don't suppose you need any help destroying that. Wouldn't want that technology falling into the wrong hands. We could learn a lot from it. It almost beat the Justice League, after all. Why would you need something to do that, General? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because it turns out the Justice League is at a secret space-based weapon of mass destruction all along. And we're going to be talking about that someday. Believe me. Ma'am.